It's really cool to be back with you, uh, to see you a little bit older, a little bit farther along in life, a little bit more mature, and, and probably thinking a little bit more about how you're going to live this life in this world, and maybe thinking about God a little more, thinking a little bit more seriously about, about Jesus and the gospel. Uh, so this morning, I want to bring a message to you about faith, specifically a faith that impacts the way you live. The title of this message is Faith That Works in a God Who Provides. Faith That Works in a God Who Provides. You know, there's a lot of people in this world who do some really crazy things in their life because of what they believe, right? I have a picture up here of, of LSU coach Ted Les. There he is. And he, this guy, every time he prepares for a game, he goes out on the field, and you can see him there chewing on some grass. Plucks a few uh, pieces of grass off the field, and he chews on that. And he says, well, you know, I think it helps me become part of the field, part of the game. And he thinks it'll help him engage as a coach as he prepares. So he does some pretty weird things, right? Well, there's a supermodel and um, famous actress, Heidi Klum. She does something weird. She carries around a little bag of her baby teeth, right? And she says, I know we don't have tooth fairies in Germany, so I put them all in a bag and I keep that with me. And, you know, the big ones, small ones, even the wisdom teeth. And she says, that's going to help her keep her in, in, innocence from her childhood, right? Kind of weird, right? But she has this weird belief about what she wants to accomplish in life, being innocent, and, and she does that. She carries her teeth around with her. You know, we could think of all sorts of superstitions in sports, right? Uh, athletes do weird things like chug a, a glass of a dozen raw eggs mixed with soy milk, or, or they go a whole season without washing their underwear, things like that, right? But there's a truth here that people act based on what they believe. You know, yesterday was 9-11, and uh, that was a day we remember what happened in 2001 when two planes struck the Twin Towers in New York, right? And that event happened because these men believed that Allah, their false view of God, would give them access, instant access into paradise if they killed unbelievers, non-Muslims, while committing suicide. Right? So this happened based on their faith, based on their beliefs. And so I would ask us, if, if the world acts in such drastic ways because of what they believe, and their beliefs are, if they're not believers in Christ, false, right? If they act those ways, how should faith cause a Christian to believe, to act, sorry? This is a challenging question because there's a lot of people in this world who say they have faith in God. They, they would call themselves Christians, but they go on living lives that are no different from the unbelievers around them. They go on living uh, in lives of sin, total disobedience to God's word, right? showing no reverence for him, no love for him by obeying his commands. That's why I want to take us to Genesis 22 this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Genesis 22. And I want to show you what faith looks like in the life of a man who truly trusted in God. 
faith that works, faith that had an impact on his life. So Genesis 22 is a story of Abraham, the man of faith, the man of God. I want to read it for you to begin with. Genesis 22, beginning in verse 1. It, now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering, arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. He took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the land for for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together, and they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for an offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day in the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. May the Lord use his word to change our lives this morning. This is a dramatic story. right? If we could just take a moment and and just put ourselves into this scene. Right? What was asked of Abraham? What was going to be taken from him? This son who had, he had waited for his whole life to have with his wife Sarah, now being requested by God to be brought from him and offered up to God. Right? This is intense. I don't know about you, but, but I struggle to even give God some of the simple things in life sometimes. Right? Even just... My time. You know, we so often revert back to just entertainment, just to filling our minds with video games, movies, 
music, sending memes and gifs or gifs, whatever side of the argument you are on there, right? We fill ourselves with fun. Our time is so often spent on fun. Our money, right? You guys have an allowance? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you don't have that much money, but it's hard for us to give money, even to the Lord. When that offering bag goes around in church and we know that we're doing it in a a cheerful way to give it back to the Lord, to honor him with with what we have, it's hard to give him our allegiance, to take a stand for him in this world, to say, to profess to people around you that I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I follow him. Right? And these are just little things in life. These are just Simple things of everyday life that we have a hard time rendering up to God, to giving it to him, to entrusting it to his hands. And here we see Abraham faced with this challenge. Will he entrust God to give up his own son, his beloved son, Isaac? Right? There's something you need to know about Genesis 22 right from the beginning. And that is that this is a test Right, we look at verse 1, it says that God tested Abraham. And here, Moses, the author of the story, gives us kind of a, a privileged position. He gives us some behind-the-scenes information. It's kind of like in a movie when the opening scene starts at the end of the story. A little snapshot of the conclusion, you know, like uh, Captain America begins with the opening scene of them digging into the frozen tundra and finding Stephen Rogers and pulling him out. And then it rewinds 70 years and tells us all about how Stephen Rogers becomes Captain America, the first Avenger, right? But if you paid attention to that opening scene, you know where the whole story's going to go. You know the very ending. You know he's going to end up frozen in the ice and falling asleep for years and waking up in a modern world, right? So just like that, as soon as we get into Genesis 22, the author draws our attention to the fact that this is a test. It's a test of Abraham, his life. And this is meant to answer a big question. Is Abraham's faith going to impact the way he lives? Is there going to be any difference between him and the pagans around him? Because Abraham was key in the Bible story up to this point. You remember Genesis 1 and 2, the creation. God made Adam and Eve as his image bearers, his likeness on the world. And then And then chapter 3 comes along, and there's the fall and the sin. And God made a promise in chapter 3, verse 15, that there would be a seed, a son, a child of Eve, who would come and crush the head of the serpent. That seed then is promised down through the line of, of Seth and Noah and then Shem. And then in chapter 12, it focuses in on Abraham. Abraham was tested in chapter 12. It's in a very similar way. God said, go forth from your country, from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Literally, the command there was, go for yourself to the land I'll show you. In chapter 22, God says, go forth for yourself to the land of Moriah. These two tests kind of put brackets around Abraham's life. One at the beginning of his life, one at the end of his life. Chapter 22 is right before Sarah dies, and then Isaac gets married off, and then Abraham dies. It's right at the end of his life. And in between chapter 12 and 22, there's a lot of things that happen. Abraham didn't do so well at living out his faith. In chapter 12, right after 
He left his land and started headed for Canaan, the promised land. He lies about Sarah, his wife. He says, she's just my sister, in order that he could remain alive and the Egyptians wouldn't kill him. Then later, he is getting impatient on God's promise of a son and he has a child with Hagar, Sarah's slave woman. And this is not good, right? This is an incredible great sin by the man that God had chosen to be his people. Right Then he goes on and, and lies for a second time, just back in Genesis chapter 20. So it's utterly crucial when we get to, to chapter 22 to answer, ask the question, is Abraham going to pass the test? Is he going to prove faithful? Is his faith going to impact the way he lives his life? Is, his, is believing in God going to do anything? Is it going to result in actions? That's what I want us to ask ourselves as we look at this passage this morning. Exchange, junior hires, boys, girls. This is incredibly important for you to ask yourself, do I really believe in God? And am I willing to do what God asks? The big picture of, that I want to give you this morning, the big idea, as Pastor Lennington likes to do as we dive into a text, is when you really believe in God, you will do anything he asks. To put it in different words, true faith causes you to follow God in every area of life, even when it's hard. Because faith works, faith acts, faith has an effect on you. And we're going to see three effects that faith had in the life of Abraham in this final test. The first and foundational effect that faith had on the life of Abraham was that faith saved him. The first effect is that faith saves. This is fundamental to how you think about faith, how you think about life, how you think about obedience and living as a Christian. You know, in Genesis 22, it's not that Abraham is being tested to see whether he's saved or not. Right? He's not here earning his salvation. If you go back with me to Genesis 15, we see that Abraham was saved by faith alone. In 15, he was starting to doubt the promise of God of a son again, but then, then God says, no, I will give you a son. And in Genesis 15, verse 6, Abraham went from skepticism, he went from doubting God to believing God. He became a believer. He had faith. It says, then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it, the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Right in that moment, Abraham was given salvation. He was given a declaration by God that you are in a right standing with me. And notice how he hadn't done anything yet. He hadn't gone off and done some magnificent work of obedience. No, he had simply believed in God's promise. And right there, God took that, deposited it into his bank account of judgment and said, you have a perfect balance. You have a right standing. This is where Abraham became a believer. Genesis fifteen six, And it was all because of his faith. Right? And then, that's why the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 4 uses Abraham as an example, as an example of salvation being by faith alone. Faith alone. He says, What then shall we say, that Abraham our forefather according to the flesh is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he is something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? 
Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. To the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but to us what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies even the ungodly, that faith is credited as righteousness. This needs to be an important truth that we write down. The effect of faith in our life is that faith alone saves. We have to begin there before we dive into what Abraham does, that faith works. Right, Because we need to understand that you cannot, boys and girls, I cannot, you cannot earn your way into favor with God. You cannot earn salvation. You cannot be good enough to be forgiven by God. It's all by His grace, His unmerited favor through faith in Jesus Christ. Not obedience. I would ask each of you to think about how you view your standing with God. How do you think you're going to please God? How do you think you're going to be a Christian? How do you think you can be saved? Are you starting to trust in showing up to church on Sunday morning? Do you trust in the fact that you read your Bible? You pray? Maybe you're looking for that moment when you can be baptized, and you're like, That's, then I'll know I'm saved. Maybe it's just the fact that you're a pretty good kid. You know, I do what my parents tell me. I don't do the really bad things that some of those other kids out in the world do. So I'm pretty good. Is that where you're holding on to for your salvation? Is that what you think is going to make sure you pass the test, that you are a believer? Right? That is not where we must go. We must remember that first fundamental truth about faith is that faith saves Faith alone, putting your trust in Jesus Christ, his perfect work on the cross, right? his death and resurrection, that he took upon himself sinner's sin and bore the wrath of God for that sin and rose in victory, conquering death. That is all you need. You need faith in him. And if you have faith in him, boys and girls, you know you're saved. There's nothing more needed. Right? There's nothing else that is required of you. If you have faith in Him, you are justified. You're declared right by God. And then you get to work in response. That brings us to the, back to the big idea of our text in Genesis 22. Right? If you really believe in God, you will do anything He asks. Faith causes us to follow God in every area of life, even when it's hard. Because faith is a powerful source in us. It drives us. It moves us. The second important effect I want you to know faith has in the life of a believer is that faith works. Faith works. God calls Abraham here in Genesis 22, and he commands him. He interjects into the life of Abraham and says, Give me your best. And I wonder if you think about this, that God has the right to demand the best out of your life. Does this bother you that, that God would look at Abraham and say, Give me your son? Because the, the test of faith, the beginning question in that quiz of life, in your faith, 
is do you have a high enough view of God? Do you see him as Lord? Do you see him as worthy of everything you have? Do you, do you willingly surrender everything you are to him? That's where faith begins. We think of even Jesus' words, right? In Luke 9, 23, do you deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him? That's what the entrance into the life of faith looks like. Faith works, right? And here, God gets very specific. Did you notice how particular he pointed at Isaac? He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. God doesn't just get in Abraham's face, right? He gets in his heart to what he knows Abraham treasured most. Dives into the affections and treasures and what is most precious to him. We have to ask ourselves, what is precious to me? What do I value most? For a lot of us, it would be family, friends, relationships, There would be some hobbies that we would throw into there. I like sports. I like my acting class. I like surfing. I like being out in the wilderness. There's things that we love. There's maybe even some possessions that we hold on to. Maybe you have a nice dress that you really value there, ladies. And the boys, maybe you have that one video game that you love. Whatever it is, I don't know what your interests are, but... But you need to think about your own heart. and What do I value? What do I treasure? And then ask yourself, have I given that to the Lord? Is that taking higher place than God in my life? And if it is, that's the first mark that your faith isn't working, that you don't have faith in God that values him above everything. Then we look and see the response of Abraham. It shows us two marks of faith that works. There's, there's two things that Abraham shows us about faith working out in his life. And the first one is that faith works in total obedience. Total obedience. You look at verse 3. It's very fast action, fast paced. And, and Abraham, he rose early in the morning, right? He doesn't sleep in. He doesn't ponder about it. Roll off the side of his bed and get up and yawn and, and take his time. No, he rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his men. He split the wood. He rose and went in straight three days journey till he gets there. There's no pause in these two verses of three days of action taking place. He was immediate. And you and I know that delayed obedience is really not obedience at all, right? When you tell your mom and dad, yeah, I'll clean my room tomorrow, when they told you to do it right now, that's really disobedience with deception. You're covering it up, trying to cover up that you're not going to do what they ask you to do. So Abraham shows us here that total obedience begins with immediate obedience, and then he goes, he goes all the way. Verse 5 to 10, he, he climbs up that mountain, with his own son, right? And the the story begins to tug at our emotions, our own heart. As I I even begin to picture Abraham walking up the mountain with Isaac. I I think of me walking up the the mountain with my own son. 
taking Roman, saying, Roman, come with me. Let's go, let's go worship God together. Let's go sacrifice to the Lord. Let's give him everything we have. Let's honor him, the one that we have faith in. Let's, let's give him what he asked for. Knowing in my mind that that act of worship, that act of sacrifice would cost me my son? Right? This is astonishing faith. Astonishing total obedience by Abraham. And is bound up in all that he does. He, he takes the wood. He takes the fire, the knife. Two of them walk up together. They come to the place. He builds the altar. He arranges the wood. He binds his son. He lays him on the altar. And he grabs his knife and he raises it up to plunge him. How can he do this? What empowered Abraham to, to obey in such a way? And that's what Abraham answers for us in the second mark of faith that works, that faith works because of complete confidence in God. It comes out of the very mouth, the lips, the, the very few words that are spoken in these verses by Abraham tell us. At the end of verse 5, he says, We will go over there, we will worship, and it's implied we will return to you. You see, whatever was going on in Abraham's mind, he believed that when he returned down from the mountain, Isaac was going to be with him. He's not coming back alone. Right? So he had confidence that, that God was going to do whatever it took to allow Isaac to live. And better yet, maybe it should be said that Abraham knew God, and he knew what he had said, and he believed it. Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham believed God was even able to raise someone from the dead. That's why he was able to to bring Isaac to the sacrifice. In Genesis 22, verse 5, we will worship and we will return to you is evidence that his faith in God was strong enough to do the hardest thing God had asked of him. Abraham shows us his unwavering faith again in in verses 7 and 8. When Isaac asked that piercing question, where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? I see what we got here going here. We're going up the mountain to, to make a burnt offering. We're going to kill something. We're going to pour some blood in order to worship God. And, but where's that animal? What is, what is it? And you can just start to speculate in our own minds that what was going through Isaac's mind as he thought, is it me? What is this? And you look at Abraham's answer and he says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. God is the first word out of Abraham's mouth. He really doesn't know where the lamb is. He's not sure where it's going to come from. He's not sure how God is going to work out the details of this. Maybe it's going to be a resurrection. He's not sure, but he knows that God is the one who will provide. His faith worked because he had complete confidence in God. God had promised him all the way back in Genesis 17 that that Isaac was the promised son. Isaac was the one that was going to inherit the eternal covenant. Isaac was going to become a great nation. Isaac was the one that was going to bring blessing to the whole world. So if Abraham killed Isaac, how would God keep his promises? 
But Abraham had complete confidence that God would do what he said he would do. That's why in James chapter 2, he is, Abraham's using an example of faith that works. James makes his main argument that faith without works is dead. He says, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. And Paul explains that sinners are justified. They're declared right before God by their faith alone, not by anything they do. And James explains that that faith that saves is justified, is shown to be right and true by the works it produces. True faith will cause you to follow God in every area of your life, even when it's hard because it's grounded in the God who gives you everything. The God who provides. Abraham's belief, his hope, his trust that God would be the one to provide is why he was enabled to act in total obedience. That brings us to our third effect faith has in the life of a believer, and that is that faith receives. You see, faith is an active force within us that drives us to obedience and impacts the way we live our life, but primarily faith is a receiver of God's grace. It's kind of like Amazon Prime, right? When you click, they deliver. When you believe in God, He gives you grace. He brings grace. He leads the way. Paul in in Philippians chapter 2 put it this way, work out your faith in Fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work. You have a part to play. Your faith becomes evident in your life by the way that you live. But it's really God that's at work in that. So, verse 11 begins exactly the same way as verse 1 did. God calling Abraham again. Re-engaging in this test of Abraham's faith. and, And it's very clear that he is still testing him. But then you see this amazing gift that God gives to the one who believes. Right as the intensity is climaxing, this moment of of, of thriller, suspense, and is waiting to see what's going to happen, Abraham has his knife in the air and God stops him. He calls out in more emphatic this way, not just calling Abraham. He says, Abraham, Abraham, twice in verse 11. And he stops him. Do not harm your son. Immediately, bring his hand down. Hearing some noise in the bushes behind him, Abraham looks back. There's a ram caught by the thorns in the in the bushes and the thickets, right? God provided in just the way that Abraham believed he would. God was the one to provide the sacrifice. Although Abraham didn't know how that was going to work its way out, but God was faithful to be who he was. And that shows us that faith receives, it accepts, it holds on to, it believes in, it trusts in God's provision of the sacrifice, This is an amazing picture of the gospel here in Genesis 22. Right? It's not that 
Isaac, the only son of Abraham, is a picture of Jesus, the only son of God that was the sacrifice. That's not it, because Isaac actually didn't get sacrificed, did he? He was the one that needed a sacrifice to step into his place. Isaac had the substitute put into his place by that ram from the bushes. This is exactly what Christ does. He reaches into the life of sinners and he says, I will take your place when you are hopeless, when you are helpless, when you are lost in your sins and trespasses, when you are dead spiritually. I step in. I take the sin. I make the sacrifice as your representative. And faith receives it. Faith receives it. It believes it, accepts it, and holds on to it for all that you're worth. If you don't have faith in God's sacrifice of his son for your sin, you have nothing. And that faith is the only faith that will work. The end of this chapter ends up with a reiteration of the promises, a repetition. God reaffirming, telling his promises to Abraham again, I will bless you. I will make your sons as the sand of the seashore and the stars of heaven. I will give you this land. I will conquer your enemies. I will bless the world. And Abraham again receives God's promises. Faith clings to the God who is worthy. That's why faith works. That's why faith impacts the way that we live our lives. See, faith makes everything about God and not about us. And we could get caught up in the story thinking about how astonishing Abraham was in his actions, that he was willing to sacrifice his own son, that we forget that the true hero of the story is God, the one who Abraham had faith in. Faith has enormous effects in the life of a Christian. It it saves, it works, it receives, it holds on to and clings to the promises and provisions of God. But that's because of the God who we believe in. So I would close by asking you to examine your own life. Think about the way that you view God. Would your faith pass the test? Are you committed to living a life of total obedience to God? Because you have complete confidence that he is the one that is worthy. He is the one that will be faithful to his promises. Do you receive his provision of the sacrifice? Do you have faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done? And do you cling to his promises to get you through life? Whatever your situation is. Do you have faith that will cause you to follow God in every area of life, even when it's hard? I hope that it is. I hope that your faith is this kind of faith. I hope that you will live like Abraham lived. That's my prayer for you. That's all of our pastors' prayers for you. I know that. Your leaders are here praying for you for that. They want to see you pass that test. They want to see faith work its way out in your life. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father,
Thank you for your word. Thank you for this amazing story that you have written for us to learn from. Father, we've only scratched the surface in this passage, but I pray that some of the truths that we brought out this morning would change the way that we all live our lives. For those that have not yet put their trust in your son, Jesus Christ, I pray that you would work that into their hearts. For those that do, I pray that you would embolden us in our faith, make us courageous, make us live differently in this world. All for your glory, Lord. You would receive the honor that is due, the worship that is due your name. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.